Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Taylor Tagg, your host and co-founder of JTS. Our purpose on Journey to Success is to interview people who are making a positive difference in the world with transformational businesses, thoughts, ideas, and actions that encourage and inspire. Today on Journey to Success Radio, episode 532, we interview John Edwards, who's co-founder of Just a Guy in the Pew. John is, is a founder and executive director of Pew Ministries, which is a Catholic apostolate with the mission of bringing Jesus Christ to the person in the pew. John is also a speaker who's been featured on Catholic media, such as Rise, the Guadalupe Radio Network, the John Leonetti Show, Hard as Nails, and EWTN's Catholic Cafe. John is a host of the popular Just a Guy in the Pew podcast, which you can find it at Just a Guy in the Pew, that's P-E-W.com. And he's a columnist also for the West Tennessee Faith Magazine. He's also co-founder of Virtual Catholic Conference. And John's greatest blessing is being a husband to Angela and father to Jacob, Allison, and Caitlin. John lives and lives and resides in Memphis, Tennessee. So, John, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Taylor. It's always good to be with you and good to see you. Great to have you on the program. And I know that we want to find out all about Just a Guy in the Pew Ministries and really approach this from from two from two angles you know mm-hmm. one is the the um, ability to create your own business as an entrepreneur and small business owner and then the second half is is the the mission of just mm-hmm. a guy in the pew the faith part of bringing jesus christ to all kinds of different people and so we want to hear about that as well but sure. if you could just start off just kind of give us an idea of how did just a guy in the pew start what what's the story there <laughs> Okay, well, that's a long one. I'll try to shorten it up for as much as I can. But, uh, you know, Taylor, I was a guy that was born and raised here in Memphis, Tennessee, grew up in Midtown, Memphis on Peabody Avenue. My parents lived in the same house there for 40 years until they retired, but uh, grew up Baptist, going to Union Avenue Baptist there in Midtown and uh, just loved the faith. I was uh, from the from the time I was young, you know, I was all the way up to 18. I was in the church all the time. And when the doors were open, that's where my community and my family was. And um just spent all my time there. When I wasn't playing sports, I was there. So um, along the way, uh, as things happen, you know, children get older, you, you start to get into your teenage years and start dreaming of what's going to come in your life and college and all those things. And, you know, for those of, of us that live here in Memphis, that are listening, you know, that it's sort of a melting pot for the SEC here in town. So a lot of people went to SEC schools, their parents went to SEC schools. So a lot of, of my peers decided to go to those schools out of town and Pretty quickly in my life, I was left here um, just for the first time in my life without community, uh, without anybody around that I considered friends. I'd go, I, I'd, you know, grown up going to an Episcopal school and uh, it just, I, for whatever reason, I didn't have a lot of friends there. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot of money there and my family didn't have a lot of money. Um, so there was just some differences there that, um, that I just didn't fit in. I talked about Jesus a lot and other people were talking about other things, but um, long story short, when it came to the college years, um, all my friends, you know, shot out of town, like we talked about And So I had a decision to make, what am I going to do with my life? And I started working for Napa auto parts when I was 16 years old. My father worked there 45 years and he just kind of said like, look, you're 16, get a job. So, <laughs> so at the time you were able to do that then. And so I was able to grab a job there and was working in a warehouse loading trucks in the summertime between, uh, you know, high school years. And that continued into college. Um, and when I got to college, I realized for the first time in my life, I was around thousands of people and I didn't know a soul. 
was very lonely, very isolated. Um, very quickly, my identity as a, as a, a follower of Christ just kind of disappeared. Uh, I was searching to be anything to anybody. Uh, and it led me into joining a fraternity because that was the one person I knew left in town was the Rush chairman for fraternity on the University of Memphis. So I did that. I just threw myself into that. And along came a lot of the other stuff that comes with joining a fraternity, the partying, the drinking, the, you know, uh, dating around and, and just the, the other things that come with all of that without getting into too many details. But um, Taylor, I made some mistakes. You know, I started drinking a lot. I started doing drugs. Um, and there was a night where I made the decision to do cocaine. And uh, it was one of the worst decisions of my life. It was one that followed me for 17 years of my life. Um, in the middle of all this, I, I wasn't doing very well in school. It wasn't because I wasn't able to. I just lost the desire. All I wanted to do was have a good time and, and just, uh, you know, life was in the moment then, right? So that's what I was doing with my life, was living in every moment and jumping from alcohol and drugs, everything else in search of, of finding an identity, right? I'd lost that community and where my identity was grounded. So I was doing everything I could in college to, to be whatever I could to anybody else, right? I mean, we talk about a lot when you go to college, there's a freedom aspect, you know, you get this freedom, but freedom's a good thing if you know who you are, but it isn't if you don't. And, and I didn't, where, where I thought I'd known who I was for a long time, I quickly lost that. So Taylor, this whole time I'm working for Napa and, and I'm, I'm, you know, working the warehouse. I worked my way up to an assistant to actually warehouse manager. It's making $35,000 a year as a 20 year old kid, you know, which is a lot of money when you're in college and a lot of other people don't have any money, <laughs> you know, so yeah. you're kind of the guy that can buy things, drive places, do stuff. So people were attracted to the things that I had. And in my mind, they, they liked me for who I was. But uh, come to find out, it was a lot of what I could do for them. Uh, monetarily wise, I could buy drugs, I could buy our way into clubs, I could do whatever. So, you know, uh, college for me, I just all of a sudden said, you know what, I, I'm wasting my father's money, I'm not doing anything here. I, I was one of those people that never knew what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I had friends that said, I'm going to be a doctor. And Next thing you know, eight years later, they were a doctor or I want to be a lawyer. And they were, that was never me. I, I never knew what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. So I spent a lot of those years lost in college. And um, the one thing that was solid in my life that I was good at was, was working for, for Napa. So I continued to do that and work my way up, went through an executive management training program and came out the other side working as a, an assistant manager in a, in a Napa store in Hernando, Mississippi for several years. And the salesman down there quit. And the boss at the time came to me and said, look, you're good with the customers. Would you like to do this? So, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And at the time, it was a 100% commission job. I knew the salesman did well. So I got out there and I was pretty good at it. Um, I was doing that, you know, during my teen or not my teen, but my early 20 years. And uh, I just started rising up in the con company. Before long, I was a salesman of the year for a Fortune 250 company a couple times over. And, you know, division salesman of the year and just had from the outside looking in everything that people would think, man, that guy's got everything going for him. You know, he's got the house, the car, the, all of that. Well, along the way, I met my wife, Angela. I was still doing cocaine all the way through all of this. Right. And, and I uh, kept telling myself, this will stop. This will stop in my life at some point, you know, something will happen. Something will make me stop this. And so when I met Angela out of the blue one night, I known her in college, but we ran into each other and, you know, a couple of years later while all this was going on and we, started dating and fell in love. And, you know, I asked her to marry me and she said, yes, thank goodness. And uh, along the way, I kept thinking, okay, this is it, right? I'm getting married. I got to stop now. You know, these childish things have to be put behind me. And, and they didn't, 
And soon after that, you know, we were going to have a child, Jacob, my, my just turned 11 year old son. And I thought, this is it. I've always wanted to be a dad. I've always wanted to have a boy. This is it. I'm going to stop. Well, that didn't stop either. A couple of years later, you know, Angela calls me and says, Hey, we're pregnant, but it's twins. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do with this? But, <laughs> but it was one of those moments I thought, you know, this is it. Like, I'm this is, I've got to quit now. I've got to quit these drugs. I'm, I'm successful. God's given me all these things. And I just didn't. Um, I kept going and kept going. I didn't realize that, you know, as much as I was doing this, uh, you know, for anybody that's ever struggled with an addiction, you just, you, your mind has a way of telling you that you're okay, that you're good, that it's nothing to worry about. And pretty soon you can start believing that. And that's how you become an addict, you know, is, is believing those lies. Long story short, um, I wound up having a couple of nights where I was in the midst of this success and, uh, you know, doing these things at night, drinking a lot of beer, hiding this cocaine use from my wife and my family. Uh, but there was a couple of nights where I had some panic attacks and, you know, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was literally going to die. My mother had passed away during this time and, and that hit me really hard. I hadn't gone to church since I joined the fraternity. My wife was Catholic. Um, she said, the guy I'm going to marry is going to be Catholic. So, figured I was the man for the job. So I went through RCIA and, and did everything you need to do to become Catholic, but I never really made that transition in my heart. And when my mother passed, I really started hating God. You know, I thought, why would you, why would you take someone like her that is good, um, that has put everyone else first in her life that loves you. And then you have somebody like me that is, that is a liar and a duplicitous person and a, all these things that were going on in my life you know, I was like, why would you take her instead of someone like me when there's people like me that exist? And so I began a hatred of God. You know, I basically told him, I will never worship you. I will never follow you. I will never do anything to, to, to love you. And it drove a wedge in my marriage because I quit going to church and I wasn't the spiritual leader of my family at all. Like we're supposed to be as men. And, um, along the way I had those two panic attacks. And the second one was, it was two nights in a row. I'd been up all night doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And, and uh, I remember thinking I would rather die right here than, than my wife to find out, you know, what I've been doing. So I made the decision the next night to go to a local men's conference. Taylor, you've been a part of for years, Men's Morning with Spirituality, uh, with the sole purpose of going to confession. I'd been once, and that was because we have to do that through RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation in the Catholic Church. So um, I went for the sole purpose of trying to find a priest that I didn't know so I could spill my guts on all of this and hopefully change my life. And that's what I did. Um, and a few days later, I'd kept my promise. You know, I, I went home, I poured out the drugs and the alcohol and the, threw away the cigarettes I smoked at the time. And, you know, I was going to change my life. And I did for four days. Um, but very shortly after that, um, I was at work and I, I sold something huge. I've been waiting on this customer that was going to, he, I talked him into expanding his business. He was going to add a, another hundred, a hundred by hundred on his shop. And, that came with tons of equipment needs and things like that, that were going to be a huge sale for me. I think it was around $250,000 and that was going to be a massive amount of commission. So he gave me the yes that day, which was that Thursday following the conference and something fired off in me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go celebrate. Right. Even though I, I knew I had promised God I was done. I was going to go celebrate. So I stopped at this deep, my dealer's house on the way back, um, which was on the way back home, supposed to be picking up my son uh, avoided that responsibility, went and picked up drugs. And about five minutes later, as I'm driving down the road, I was pulled over by the police. They'd been watching his house and, uh, I was thrown in jail, uh, taken down to organized crime and then down to uh, jail in downtown Memphis. And 
my wife had no clue. There was an officer that was kind enough to let me call her before he took me into the actual detention center downtown, uh, told her what had happened. Uh, you know, that wasn't, she basically told me she hated me. Um, she knew something had been going on, but she didn't know what. Um, so I spent, this was, by the way, this was Holy Thursday. Um, this Thursday was Holy Thursday in the Catholic church. That's a, a big deal. And well, in all Christianity, I'm sure it is, but uh, I went to, to jail that day and then stayed there until Friday. And it was in that jail cell when, you know, then I think I was taken to a cell at about four in the morning. Um, you know, it's when it got real to me, I, you know, as a salesman, I've always been able to talk my way out of things. I thought for sure I would talk my way out of that. Uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, when I put on scrubs and went into a cell uh, at four in the morning, I knew this is it. I'm looking at these bunk beds and stainless steel toilet and all this stuff and a six by six cell. And it's too much to handle at the time. I hadn't slept in 24 hours, hadn't eaten. Um, and and I just threw a blanket on the bed and laid down on it, threw another one over me and passed out by the grace of God. And, you know, Taylor, the next morning I, I woke up and sat up and hit my head on the bottom of a steel bunk bed, you know, and I thought I was, I thought I'd had a nightmare, right? When I was still laying on my face. And so I thought, oh good, this is, this, it was a terrible dream. I'll never do drugs again. Thank you God for giving me that dream. So I, you know, I can change my life. Well, when I hit the bottom of that bunk bed, I realized it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. And I threw my legs over the side of the bed and saw a cinder block wall right in front of me. And I just began to panic, right? The same way I'd felt those two nights. It just started rubbing my arms and, you know, rocking night and nothing and just realizing what I was going to lose in my life, my job, my, my family, my wife, my everything I held important in my life. Um, I'd spent so much of my life lying and, and wearing masks and, and just being a chameleon among men. I could feel all of that crumbling around right now. Um, I remembered the, the pictures they took of me the night before, you know, the things you see on law and order with the numbers and the, the mugshot stuff. And I thought that's going to be somewhere. Somebody's going to see it. My life's over. And Taylor, in that moment, it was just crazy. I, as I was rocking, you know, hundred miles an hour and felt like I, I was going to have a heart attack, really felt, you know, entertaining the idea of suicide. I mean, there was a lot of that going on and, uh, man, just in that moment, like all of a sudden I felt myself stop rocking and there was this moment of peace that I shouldn't have had like this, just calmness that came over me. And the truest words I've ever said came out of my mouth. Uh, you know, all of a sudden I just said, well, at least now I don't have to lie anymore. At least now everyone will know who I am. And it felt like just years and years. I mean, I'd been doing cocaine for 17 years. I was arrested when I was 37 years old and uh, I'm 42 now. So it hadn't been that long. It's been five years ago, but um, it just this tremendous weight of, of finally saying, you know, at least now everyone knows. And so I began to think in that moment, like, all right, I, 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 all I can do, I can't control any of that in here. All I can, all I can do is have a conversation with Christ, which I haven't had in a long time. And I really felt like he was there um, right beside me the whole time. And, and I, I remember saying, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've said, I hate you. I'm sorry. I've allowed my life to get like this. I'm sorry that, you know, this is happening for my family and for my wife. And, and I just, Lord, if you would just give me an opportunity to be the person I should have been all this time, I promise you, I will, I will, I will change my life. I'll be different. And, you know, I just kept saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And as I've looked over this and as I've gone through healing and, and worked with people on things like this, I almost could see Christ everywhere and the officer that gave me my phone and, and my wife that, you know, eventually plays into this and some more. And, and I just remember Christ sitting there almost looking back saying, John, it's okay. Like that's what you needed me to be in that time. And I was that for you, but now I need you to be something for me. 
And so I didn't know what that was at the time. I just agreed I would give him my life and I would do whatever he wanted me to do. Uh, shortly after that, my wife showed up to bail me out. And um, I mean, there's a lot more to this, but I wound up um, going uh, to my father's for Easter weekend, got out of jail on Good Friday, which is if you look at the whole narrative of arrested on Holy Thursday and out on Good Friday and just, it's crazy. But I went to my dad's in Mississippi, went to a church service down there where a priest came up out of nowhere that I'd met one time in my life years before and said, you know, I don't know why you're here alone where your family is, but God wants me to tell you everything's going to be all right. So I went back to Memphis that Monday and went to court, went to my, uh, to my work. And they had obviously found out about what had gone on. And they asked me a lot of questions um, that I answered, you know, to the best of my ability. And decided right then and there that after court, this wasn't a court mandated thing, but I wanted to go to a behavioral science center to see how deep this went. So I did, I had my dad drive me over there and check me in. Um, and in the midst of that, and this just one of the worst scenes I've ever been in with people just bringing their family in left and right, just broken and guys on meth and heroin and everything else and families that were just like, this is enough. I'm done. Like take him, I'm done or take her, I'm done my wife, the door opens over my shoulder and, and, and there's not another person that comes in. I had picked up a paper just to hide myself from all of this. And I noticed somebody didn't walk by. And when I looked up, it was my wife. And she said, you know, I can't let you go through this alone. I'm mad at you and I'm hurt. But I can't let you go through this alone. So uh, that night I, I wound up going into 30 days of, um, of outpatient uh, help there. And just started going to daily mass every day. Um, I was taking the kids to school, borrowing my father-in-law's truck. His mind was impounded. And I started going to daily mass every day. And that's when I really met Christ and, and realized the, the power of the Eucharist and what I've been ignoring for, for so long in my life. Um, and I began to change my life. I began to read and read the scriptures. And all of a sudden, all this stuff I'd done as a child, as a Baptist, started pouring back into my life. And um, I don't know. God just started taking me in some amazing directions. And a year later, I wound up going back to that very men's conference. And there was a young man that had been in trouble with drugs and alcohol that got up and spoke. And it just really, uh, man, the courage that young man showed, it just inspired me. And that night, there was another man from my parish that was there. And he asked, hey, John, uh, he, he was actually going nuts. He had had a great day and had a, 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 you know, a, a moment with the Holy Spirit. So he was on fire and he was just running around yelling about all this stuff and how he felt. And, and, uh, I told him, I was like, man, you've been, you know, bitten by the Holy spirit. And, and, uh, he didn't, he said, I don't, I don't know, you know, what that means. I, I've been Catholic all my life, but I know God and Jesus, but not the Holy spirit. Can you tell me about it? So we went and had dinner. Uh, and I told him about it. I had no one knew in my life. I'd been arrested. I hadn't shared that with anybody in my parish or, or anything. I was afraid of what might come of that. Uh, but I shared it with him that night and, and I thought he was going to get up and walk away. But he said, man, that's amazing. We got to start a men's group. So I go to Holy Rosary Parish here in Memphis and he convinced me a week later to call a bunch of guys into a room and, and, uh, and basically share with them what I shared with him. And I got up and became vulnerable and shared all of what I just shared with you in more detail. Um, and every guy in that room stood up after I was done. I thought they were all going to leave. I said, look, I know you didn't know why you were here and I could tell by the look on your face, a lot of you are freaked out, <laughs> but um, I just felt like I had to share this. And I think we need to start something for men because I can't be the only guy that struggles with things like this in my life, no matter what it is. And I sat down, I was crying and it was a mess. Um, and one after another, every guy in that room stood up and said, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm dealing, I'm struggling with pornography or I'm struggling with alcohol or I'm struggling. I'm going through a divorce or I'm this and all the way around the room. And it showed me that 
that's the power of vulnerability. And so we started running this group. And next thing you know, we had 30, 40 men coming on a regular basis. We had um, a lot of people from other churches coming that actually converted to Catholicism because they said, I finally found a place where I can be real and be authentic and be myself and be accepted. And like, I've wanted that for so long in my life, you know, Taylor. And so, you know, out of that, I started to realize that, you know, the way a lot of us have been raised, if you're my age or older, I'm 42, we had fathers that, you know, told us, Hey, you, you got to work hard. You got to never complain. You don't have feelings, keep your head down. And so that's the way a lot of men go about life. And, and we build these addictions and these struggles and, and we lose our faith and all of these things because we're trying to keep this one man army approach to our life. And so out of all of that, um, I began to attend Crescio groups and things like that. And Deacon Jeff Drzymski, a friend, mutual friend of ours, one night said, I want to build you a podcast. What would you call it? And, and uh, first of all, I said, I don't know anything about a podcast. And <laughs> you're setting me up for failure, I think. And, let let and, me ask uh, you a quick question, John. Real sure, quick, please. Before, before we kind of get into this next chapter of how sure. just a guy in the podcast kind of blossomed. You know, I want yeah. to go back to the jail cell for a minute because sure. that, that was definitely a moment of transformation for you. Yeah. And you think about um, all, all the many saints that have walked this earth. You know, many of them had had pretty pretty rough lives before that moment of transformation. Sure. And there are many people out there, many many men in particular, who have not had that moment of transformation yet. They're still waiting on it. Sure. So before we kind of get into this next chapter, what can you what can you tell the men out there, or the people just in general who are struggling sure. right now, who are, are waiting for something to happen that has not happened yet that that may be of encouragement to them. Sure. Well, first I would say we need to open our eyes to everything around us. You know, uh, I had mine closed. There were so many points I can look back in my life and see where God was trying to, to bring me, draw me back into him to, to, to become closer to him again, through various people, through various events. And I just ignored it. I avoided it. Um, you know, we can get in a bad place of convincing ourselves a lot of things that we're fine when we're not, um, you know, with men, especially, uh, there is that that resistance to vulnerability. It just is. It's I'm not supposed to be like that. There's two definitions of that, really. There's the world's definition of to become vulnerable means you're susceptible to attack, you're weak, you're less masculine, you know, all of that junk. And then there's St. Paul's version or God's version through St. Paul, where he says, my power is made perfect in weakness, right? You know, St. Paul, if we remember, he he asked God to pull the thorn from his side three times and and, and God says, no. Like my power is made perfect and leave it in weakness, leave it there. And so St. Paul takes from that. If I'm to boast, let me boast of my hardships, my insults, my, my deficiencies, all of those things that he says, because when I'm weak, I'm strong. And so I would tell folks that this, this proclivity to, to hide and to conform to what the culture and the world says you ought to be, we have to abandon that. We have to get rid of that. We have to understand that there's only one opinion in this world that really matters. And that's God's. You know, if you're, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian that's listening to this, then we have to believe that the only opinion that's ever going to matter, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to your wife or anybody else, but the one that's eternally going to matter is the opinion of God. And so that's where we have to base our life around, and that's where we have to base our priorities around. Um, you know, and what it was for me is I had to realize there were three places I needed to become vulnerable, I needed to become vulnerable in my life. First of all, in that jail cell. You know, and I, I give this, I talk to addicts about this all the time. I just did a healing conference where I talked about this and a lot of people found this helpful. 
But we all know, like if you've ever been addicted to something, or if you have any sort of issue in your life, whether take drugs and alcohol aside, but any sort of plaguing sin or issue in your life, you, there comes a point where you know this is an issue in your life. Now, there's a part of you that sweeps it under the rug and, and says, no, I'll be okay. It'll, like I did, it'll eventually go away on its own. But that doesn't happen. And we have to be realistic about that. We have to make an active choice in our life to be better. And so in that jail cell in that moment, it was like, okay, I've known this is a problem. I can't hide this. I can't deny this anymore, right? That this is an issue and I've known this. So now I have to make the choice to be done with this in my life, whatever it was at the time. Um, and that's the point I think that a lot of people never get to is we don't truly become vulnerable with ourselves, right? And admit, okay, this is, I, I'm, I got to stop lying to myself, right? I got to be honest with myself because I'm never going to be able to fix this. Is, Taylor, there were so many nights where I was up late and I felt terrible and I was sitting there at three in the morning, couldn't go to sleep going, oh my gosh, the world's caving in on me. My wife's going to find out. I'll never do this again. I promise Lord, if I could just go to sleep tonight, I'll never do it again. And by 4.30 the next day, I was back doing it because we have this proclivity, this, this habit of, of convincing ourselves that everything's okay when it's not. So I would say the first thing we have to do is be honest with ourselves, be open and vulnerable and say, I have an issue and I have to be spiritually mature or just mature in any regard and, and deal with this. The second thing I would do is if you're a believer in God that's listening to this, then you have to take it to him. Whether you're a Catholic and you go to reconciliation and a confessional or you're, you're a Protestant that just takes your sins directly to the father himself and asks for forgiveness, you have to do that. You know, a lot of times we, we don't want to take things to God because we think, well, I'm embarrassed. I don't want him to know what I've done. Well, I got news for you. Like, if you believe that there's a plan for your life and he made you million, he, he had the idea to, to make a John Edwards or a Taylor Tag thousands of years before you were made, he knows what you were going to do, who you're going to be, who you should be, and what you're going to do for your life. So he knew what you were going to do before you ever even thought about it. And he was there when you did it. So really, all you're doing is going and apologizing to him and saying, Lord, I want to change my life. I want true repentance in my life. And you decide, like, from this point on, I'm going to turn from this way of life and commit to living this way of life. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing, you have to walk with other people, right? Like, we, this world wants to isolate us. It wants us to, to, to be alone, to not share our problems so that we can just kind of walk in the same mentality, everybody get in the line and nobody be different and conform to whatever political ideas or cultural, cultural things are out there now. And so the devil wants to separate us for sure, but so do a lot of things in this world. So we need people to walk with that group of men in my life. There's so many times Taylor, where they come to me and thank you, John, for what you've done for me. And Taylor, there's so many times that I want to go, do you not realize like, like, if it weren't for you guys, I couldn't do what I'm doing now. I couldn't be who I'm supposed to be. Like you guys look at me in a light because I have a platform or something or, or whatever I can get on a stage and talk. But do you know, like the individual moments where I've struggled and there's people that there's certain people that I, I couldn't share things with that, that, that I don't feel comfortable with, but with you guys, I have a refuge, you know, Jesus sent disciples out two by two for a, for a reason. He knew there'd be temptations. He knew there'd be opportunities for people to fall and there would need to be someone other there with them to, to help them get up, to help them pick them up. And so we need that same thing in our life. So I would tell people like, you've got to become vulnerable in those three ways, like honest with yourself, honest with God and honest with the people around you. And when you do that, you have a support system that now is walking with you towards virtue and holiness, towards living the life that most of us have always wanted, right? We, we have this inner desire to know that we're made for more, 
that's why we're attracted as guys to like superhero movies and just, right. you know, stories like the Chronicles of Narnia. We know we're made for something more, but we don't know what that is. And that, that is in, in my opinion is, is following Jesus Christ and, and the mission that he's given all of us. And, and Taylor, that's what I've found when I came out of that jail cell is I've been looking for something all my life. And depending on other people to tell me who I should be and who I need to be and what I should dress like and look like and act like, but all of that needs to come from the father. When I realized my identity is a beloved son of the father, then everything pours out from that. I know who I am. I know what I'm here for. I know what I'm supposed to be. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I have a mission and a purpose now. So I would say that to the people to to try to answer that question for you. Yeah. And they're seeing, they're seeing in your, in your story to, you know, to be somewhat of a surrender that, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't have all the answers myself and, and I need, yeah. <laughs> I need you guy to help me with this. Cause I'm not going to be able to get this on my own. And there's an acceptance there too. I think that, you know, this, this, this is where I am. This is sure. not where I'm going to end up, but this is where I am and this is how it is. But now we can go in a different direction because, I've got some help, not only from God, but from other people, like you said, walking with other yeah. men, other groups that, that that are walking the same path that you are. It may, may be a little different story, mm-hmm. but we're all kind of walking on the same journey in, in, in a sure. way. So tell us a little bit about how just a guy in the pew kind of kind of blossomed out of sure, this. Sure, sure, sure. And, and that's on your point on surrender, that you're exactly right. It, it comes to a point where, you know, some of us just have to be brought to our knees like I was in, in, in that point, it's surrender is not a one-time thing. You know, conversion is not a one-time thing. It's something you have to get up every day and continue to do. Um, that's one thing that allows me to keep doing what I'm doing is getting up every day and saying, Lord, I give my life to you. Like whatever you want from me, I'll do. It's hard. It's scary. Um, I freak out every day, like going, I don't know what's coming. I don't know necessarily if this stuff I'm doing is going to continue to provide for my family and, and support my family and all that stuff. But you just get up every day and you give it to God and you trust him and he doesn't, he hasn't let me down yet. You know, there's, we don't always get what we want, but that what we want is not always what we need. Right. So, That's right. but starting with, um, starting with the, just down the pew. So, like I said, I started going to mass every day and, uh, it was there that I really felt for the first time I'd been to so many Catholic masses and ignored them. Right. I was sitting there thinking, what time do the Broncos come on? Are we going to be home in time? Or, you know, what do we have to get at Kroger and how can we get home quickly? Or, all those things. And, and I missed the beauty of the Catholic mass for 10 years, for 10 years, I ignored it, you know? And so one of the first days, you know, when I, when I was taking my kids to school and was out of the behavior science center, um, I walked into a daily mass. I was trying to hide from the world. That's really what I was doing. Customers of mine had found out at Napa. Um, they continue to allow me to work there by the way, uh, because I had not been in trouble before. And so I was on the verge of having to go back to work with all these people that were finding out what I had done. Um, and I had signed something at work that said I would not disclose any information to anyone uh, or I would lose my job. So I had all these customers that had seen the just busted pictures or whatever and were texting me all kind of things, you know, cussing me out, calling me a crackhead. I'll never buy from you again. People had had a relationship with for 20 years. So this one day when all that was happening, I walked into the church and I just said, I'm going to go in here and hide. And in that moment, uh, there was about 10 people in the church uh, and they were all 70 plus, I would imagine. And for those of you, I'm sitting down now, but I'm six foot eight. And at the time I was 37 years old and I walk into this church and I I begin to kneel and pray. And as mass goes on for the first time, I heard every word of it. You could have heard a pin drop in the church. 
the homily spoke right to my heart. I began to cry, I began to sob all through mass, like annoyingly disturbing mass sobbing. I went up and took communion. And afterwards I, I came back to the pew and knelt and, and prayed so hard, Taylor, that I didn't realize mass was over. They, they ended mass and processed out. And I felt a hand on my shoulder and it was Father James Martell that was at Holy Rosary at the time who came over and asked me to go to confession. So I did. And I shared with him everything that had gone on in my life. And he looked at me and he, he absolved me of my sins. Uh, and then um, and then he looked at me as I got up to leave. And I said, well, thank you, Father. And, and he goes, no, we're not done. He said, you're going to start coming to daily mass every day at 815 because you, you're off work 30 days until this is all decided and figured out. Um, you're going to be, become a lector, for which for those who aren't Catholic, means reading the, the, the uh, Old Testament or New Testament readings before the gospel in, in, in mass. And uh, he said, you're going to come to confession once a week. So I started doing that, started showing up to daily mass every day and, and lecturing pretty much every day. And eventually, you know, you got a six foot eight guy standing up in the first pew of the of mass every day. People start to go, what is with this guy? So uh, very quickly, uh, I would start hearing the footsteps after mass. I was praying coming and initially I could almost count three, two, one, and they would stop. And somebody would touch my shoulder and I'd look up and it'd be an older lady or, or, or gentleman and and uh, they would say, excuse me, son, are you in the diaconate, which meant, are you studying to be a deacon? Or are you in seminary, which meant, are you studying to be a priest? And I would say, no, I'm just a guy in the pew. You know, and that was just my answer was, I'm just another guy in the pew. So when I started going to these groups like Crescio and our men's group was going well, we had tons of guys coming. It was sort of spread around the diocese that we had a really dynamic and unique thing going there in, in our parish. Um, I was in my Crescio group one night and I was sharing about men and all the things that were going on and men begin to share all their struggles. We used to write them down on a, on pieces of paper and put them in a bag. So guys that were maybe dealing with something that was more about lust or something that might've been more embarrassing. Um, they wouldn't have to say, Hey, I'm the guy that struggles with this. So we would pull those out of a bag and talk about them at night. And men just seem to be finding a lot of healing and finding a lot of men. There's a lot of people who struggle with this. I'm not the only one. So Deacon Jeff would ask me about a lot of that stuff and I would talk to him about it. And he said, man, you need an outlet. I want to build you a podcast. And that's when I was like, man, I don't know anything about that. Like I, that is going to be a bomb before I ever started. And, and uh, he said, well, what would you call it? And immediately, like, I didn't even think it. I just said, just a guy on the pew. And so Deacon Jeff started meeting with me and started showing me how to do it. And I asked a buddy of mine, Victor Adams, who's a, a you know, a guy that started coming to our men's group that I got really close with. Uh, to co-host with me and we started doing shows and it started with vulnerability and and just a lot of other topics and we built it around the, the motto for the show is or the the moniker the starting words of the show are welcome to the pew the place where everyday guys talk about everyday things in front of the one person that could do something about it jesus christ and that's what we realized is that there were so many men out here that were just struggling and walking this path alone and we were all struggling with the same stuff but we convince ourselves that we're the only alcoholic in the world, or we're the only person that, that struggles with impurity, or we're the only person that maybe speaks on our wife in a manner that's not healthy. Like we all think we're just the, that individual bad person and that God can't love us, right? That God has his back turned from us, but that's not the truth. I mean, a lot of times we're the ones that have turned away from him and he's always waiting for us to, to come home, right? Like the father and the prodigal son, he's always standing there you know, that story doesn't end with the, with the father chastising the son when he comes home or telling him to leave again. No, he rushes out to meet him and puts his, his robe on him and puts his ring on him and, and calls for a feast. And that's what God does for us. So we begin to share that with men. 
and doing these one word topics every week, fear, humility, uh, pornography, whatever it is like that we knew men were struggling with. We were pulling from that bag. And next thing you know, we started having a lot of listeners and started looking at the map on SoundCloud. And there was over a hundred countries around the world that had listened to the show. And um, we've got 85 episodes now. And we just started showing up every Monday and doing it and putting it out there. And a friend of mine, David Hall, he's the IT director at Holy Rosary, helped me build a website for just a guy in the pew. And during this time, I was working for Cardinal Studios. I was a guy on the road speaking for them and, and, and supporting a program they had called Rise with a Catholic speaker, Chris Stefanik. Um, and I was doing just a guy in the pew is just something that was what God was calling me to. I had no idea what I was doing, what it could become, if it was going to be anything, or if it was just something meant, if it was 10 people that listened to it and it changed their life, that was worth it to me. So we started doing all that. Uh, Cardinal, uh, the company I worked for, decided that the programs that they were making and, and selling to men's groups were not going to support the business model they had. So they decided to pivot this last Christmas to um, marketing for apostolates, to switch to a marketing agency, sort of. So they came to me a couple of days before Christmas and said, John, you know, we hate to do this, but there's not really a, a position in this new model for you. Um, you know, we're going to pay you through the end of the year. And then if you would stay on for through March, we'll be glad to pay you a little bit of money to, to help make sure these groups of men get to the start date for this program that we've been working in. So I agreed to do that. But there I was three days before Christmas, Taylor, like about to drive down to my dad's farm. He was about to have uh, knee surgery the day before Christmas Eve, uh, knee replacement. And my three kids were home with the flu. My wife was home taking care of them uh, with me. And I, I got off phone and I began to cry, man. Like, I was like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, God, I've given you everything I know to give you. And now I don't have a job. It's a couple of days before Christmas. I, you know, uh, the financial stuff that comes with that, you know, you're just like, what am I going to do? And my wife comes in Taylor and she sees me crying, you know, and I start trying to do the, you know, the masculine, you know, I'm, not, I'm fine. I'm fine. And she says, you know, what's the matter? And I told her, I said, Angel, I just lost my job. And Taylor, I mean, she is a saint of a woman. I mean, if, if you know, there's more to tell in my story about all the, the beauty of her and, and just how great of a, a Catholic Christian she is. But she looked at me and just said, okay, well, you know, you've been talking about starting a nonprofit for a long time, and maybe this is God pushing you over the edge to do it. And I looked at her like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, I know nothing about that. I've never run anything like that. I've never run a business, but we decided to do it. And I assembled a board of a lot of guys, you know, here locally, Tom Dorian, Carter Horde, David Hall, um, all those guys. And, and those guys believed in what I was doing and they had since we started. And, and so we began to pull together things and build what it takes to build a nonprofit. I uh, worked with Ralph Gibson, my, my lawyer for the, for the uh, apostolate. And he began to lead me through all that and got a CPA and he began to help me with all the tax stuff and the, you know, just setting up how to set up a business in the first place. So we started doing all of that. And, and um, next thing you know, I'm going, okay, well, I have a business, but I have no money, right? Like what am I supposed to, <laughs> I've got to figure out how to fundraise and all those things. So we started doing a little bit of that uh, on our own as best as we knew how. Well, there came a time, Taylor, where, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, but I'm not ashamed to admit it, um, if that makes sense, that I was sitting in my bedroom floor one day and it had been about a month and a half and I was like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. And this is not going to support my family. And thank God Angela works at St. Jude full time. So we had money coming in, at least for that to support us. But 
I was coming to the end of this extra money that Cardinal was going to pay me to see through the, the, the job that we were doing. And I thought, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do? And I can't sit here and just do this and not make any money. And I, I got angry, you know, I said, God, I've given you everything I know to give you. And there's so many people in this world that, that just don't care about you one way or another. And, and I really felt sorry for myself. I had a pity party and just kind of said, you know what, I'm going to be done if something doesn't happen. It's just, and it says, don't put God to the test. I don't recommend it. But, <laughs> but I, I said that. And a couple of days later, I had one speaking engagement left that had not canceled Corona, the coronavirus had, had started by this time. And, uh, and I had one speaking engagement left and it was going to pay me a nice amount of money. It was, it was the biggest event I was ever, had ever done. It was in front of 4,000 men in Milwaukee. And I was packing my suitcase that day for, uh, to leave the next day. I got a phone call from a guy that I worked with in that rise program. And he's had started a Catholic apostolate and he'd seen some things I was doing and asked me, you know, some advice. And next thing you know, while we're on the phone, that, that deal gets canceled. You know, the, the, I get a text from the men in Milwaukee and say, Hey, our archbishop says we can't do this. I mean, they had rented, uh, you know, a $30,000 theater and non-refundable, you know, I mean, they, all these groups were hurting that because of the coronavirus and, uh, I just went, man, there's my, I feel bad for them. This is the last bit of income I would have made. I have no idea what the future holds. And in that phone call, as I was on the phone with my, my friend and now partner in the virtual Catholic conference, Matt Ingold, I said, man, I got to go. Like I got to cancel a flight. I've never had to do that before. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, man, we should do something virtually. And I went like, I have no idea what that means or how to do that. And I got to cancel this flight. And he said, well, can I call you back tonight? I said, yeah, sure. So he calls me back. I'd been thinking about it. He'd been thinking about it. He said, look, I can build the sites. We can build these virtual conferences, but I don't know anyone. Um, I knew a lot of speakers because I've been on the road a couple of years and, 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 you know, befriended a lot of these folks. And so I started calling people. Next thing you know, in two weeks time, we had a conference, which was supposed to be on the, the same weekend of that men's morning was going to be on that was canceled. Uh, Matt was actually supposed to speak here for that. Um, it was canceled. So we put together a conference that wound up having 65,000 people and 65 speakers on it. And it just, it was tremendous. I mean, we, we, we collected money for premium passes um, that went to the, the speakers and then what was left went to the business. You know, we were trying to support all these ministries that were now had been built on going out on the road that had, didn't have that opportunity anymore and their families. And they were in the same situation I was, what am I going to do with my life now? I can't go do this and support my family. So we started supporting all that. And next thing you know, we thought, you know, this is reaching people from all over the world. I mean, our number one place to this day through 11 conferences is Singapore. I mean, it's reaching places all over the world. So we said, let's form a business. So we brought in another partner, Ryan Foley, and we've continued to build these conferences. We made an LLC, Virtual Catholic Conference. And, uh, yeah, so and that's, a, that's a for-profit business, right? Yeah, that's a so for-profit. Yeah. yeah. So the, just, just a guy in the pew became pew ministry. So just a guy in the pew to back up a second, that is the podcast, the daily reflection videos I do just the stuff I personally do um, within the ministry. Pew ministries is now a 501 C three nonprofit organization with the purpose and mission of bringing the person of Jesus Christ to the person in the pew. So if you were to think about that, pew ministries is basically this big empty warehouse with the only thing in it is a box. That's just a guy in the pew. But there's room for all these other boxes and all these other things that we want to put in there. And so we're going to start doing some things with Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And I'm going to start building some course on, courses on how to lead uh, men's ministry, things like that, um, that we're going to continue to put in there. But Pew Ministries is going to be a place where 
it doesn't matter if it's me or not. People who are talented, people that want to serve the Lord, people that like Deacon Jeff has RCIA skills where he can train and teach people to really love the Catholic faith. And he's, he has 50, 60 people a year. That's a place for him to come in there and be able to, to have a sandbox for that. Right. It's not just about John Edwards. It's about whoever God calls with a skill set to be able to come in and, and help the mission of bringing, introducing that relationship to Jesus Christ. Um, that's the mission behind what we're doing there is I believe we have a lot of people in every aspect of Christianity that go to church every Sunday, that do the things that they're supposed to do as a Christian. But a lot of us don't have that relationship with Christ. I mean, a lot of people admit that I go because my parents went or I go because I want to go to heaven or I go because it's just something I've always done. So we want to introduce the person of Jesus Christ, that personal relationship, no matter where you're Catholic or Protestant or whatever, we want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. And, and so that's the mission of Pew Ministries. So that is going on in the midst of the VCC thing. And now, you know, we, we, we've, we've signed deals to do 20 something conferences next year for the for-profit. Um, and that's where I am, Taylor, like just trying to give my life to both of those things and serve the Lord in, in whatever way that he's putting in front of me at that given moment. I mean, let me ask you this question because I think sure. this is a good question. You know, what would you say sure. to the person out there who's thinking about starting their own business, whether it's a, a nonprofit or for-profit and they're, they're, they're getting, trying to get the courage to take that leap, you know, sure. like you did. And they're thinking, how am I going to pay the bills and how am I going to do this? And what advice would you have for that person that's, that's kind of ready to take that jump and get involved, but it's not quite there yet. Right. Well, first of all, I would say, Taylor, there's a lot of things in my life that I look back and I wish I had just had the courage to do because, you know, a lot of, and the ones that I have had the courage to do, I look back and I think, you know, there wasn't as much to be afraid of as I thought, you know, we, for the long time with Napa, I, I wanted, there were some things that weren't going right there. Um, they changed pay scales. I wasn't happy anymore. Um, it just, the company was evolving uh, from more of a personal family run sort of thing to more of a corporate thing. And I remember wanting to leave and feeling trapped going, but I don't have a college degree and this is all I've ever done. This is all I've ever known. And I wish at that point, I mean, now obviously God had a plan, but I, there was times I look back and wish, man, I wish I'd stuck my toe in the water doing something else instead of convincing myself that I couldn't, right? And, and giving into that fear. So I would say, you know, that we have to just, you have to trust in the Lord. You brought up surrender early. And I don't know, there may be a lot of people on here that don't, that aren't Christian. I don't know. But for me, it's trusting in the Lord. It, it's just getting to the point where I go, you know what? There's signs I see in my life. I'm not happy, right? My family's not happy because I'm not happy. Um, I can give my life to whatever it is I'm doing right now for the rest of my life and never be happy, never have peace, never have joy, um, just be unenjoyable to be around. Uh, or I could take a leap and try to follow signs and obvious things that are in front of me that, yeah, it's scary. And yeah, it's, it's a, it, it's, it's a leap of faith, but God rewards those leaps of faith. He really does. I mean, sometimes things don't work out. I know plenty of people that have businesses that they've tried several times before they found something that really fit. Um, you know, that's just part of life. I mean, we don't get to have joy all the time without a, a little bit of suffering sprinkled in there. But I would say, like, if you feel in your heart that 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 you're being called, whether you believe in God and you think it's him calling you or, or, or some other aspect of your life that you feel something's calling you, not to ignore that but to honestly pay attention to it, to, and to, to discern, right. To discern, to look at it and think, 
what does this mean in my life? What is this, how does this affect my life if I take this pivot or I make this turn? You know, is, is this financially re, uh, responsible? Am I in a place where I can even make a decision like that? Those are questions we need to start asking ourselves. Um, I don't want to paint this picture like everybody go just, you know, stop what you're doing and, and go on whatever crazy idea pops in your head. That's not what I'm saying. But we really have to stop and think about it. Think, am I being led in the right direction? Where is this coming from? Is this a desire to, to just get out of something? Or is this a desire to where I really feel called to do something? Is there a purpose and a meaning to whatever it is that I'm trying to get into or trying to start? And, and I think if you come from that place, then you're going to be have a pretty safe foundation to start really analyzing, you know, what are the benefits? What are the cons? What are, you know, what are the, um, what are the dangers in this? What are the, what are the opportunities in this? And then obviously if you're married, you need to bring your spouse into it before you make any decision uh, because it affects not only you, it affects your children and, and, and those around you. So you need to be on the same page there. And, and that's, I don't know that I would ever have done the, the Pew Ministries if I hadn't had my wife kneeling on the floor in front of me, holding my hand saying, we should do this. And so that's an important piece is, you know, if you're married, it's till death to us part. And that includes all decisions. And so make sure that you're, you're doing that. But I would say if you've got that inkling, then you got to be true to it and you got to explore it, but you got to do it in a way that is not biased, you know, to go in and to really find out, am I being led to do this? Why am I being led to do this? How am I going to go about this? And do I have people that support me in it? Um, that's the other thing. I have a board that supports me in what I do. So I'm not out there on my own. I have guys that believe in the mission and are willing to support it. And that's another important piece to have too. And, and, and I think I thank you for that too, because I think yeah. a lot of people out there and definitely in the COVID environment may have lost their job and may sure. be considering what to do next with their life. And they're considering entrepreneurship. I know with the people that small business owners that I work with, a lot of people are really considering starting their own business now, which sure. brings me back to the face side of this. Mm-hmm. You have an incredible story, John, and <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that you're out there telling it to others and sharing, you know, your transformation with other people. So that's bringing a lot of people to Jesus. And, and I want to ask you really, you know, what, what can people take from your story? Not, not just Catholics, but people of all faith, what can they take from your story and and how it's gone for you? Sure. Well, I would say, you know, there's a lot of I've, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, I've spoken all over the country and in Canada now and, and been very blessed to do so. And, and every time that depending on if I'm telling my story or get, talking on something else, um, people always come up and they share and they just tell me where they are in their life. And, and the thing is like, all of us have a story and, and I believe, I can't remember the Catholic saint that says it, but it's basically said like, you should leave with your witness. And if you're a teacher, then you should teach after you've led with your witness. I'm butchering that. But it's basically saying we all have a story and that's the most powerful way to help transform other people's lives is, is the point of that. And I would say, look, here, here's the thing. I was 37 years old. I didn't think I had a way out. I didn't know I wanted out, but I didn't know how to get out. I was afraid of losing everything. I thought there's no way that God could ever love me, that God could ever want me back that I was just the furthest thing from what he would want in a follower or disciple. And that's all lies from the devil. The devil gets in your head and he tells you you're worthless. You're not good enough. You know, that night that I walked into that room with those men, I didn't, I didn't say this part because I was trying to get through it as quickly as I could, but um, you know, I was scared to death. I I knew that, you know, here I was in my parish and the place where my children go to school 
and all these men that I'd worked hard to make friends with in my life uh, had no idea what had gone on. And I was about to go in that room. And, and as I walked to that room, it was a time of year where it was dark and I could see them inside, but they couldn't see me. And I reached for the door. And as soon as my door, my hand hit the handle, I started hearing those voices. Don't, don't open that door. If you do, you're going to lose everything, right? You're going to, you're going to lose everything. You're going to, your kids are going to be kicked out of school. Imagine what it's going to do to your wife. It's going to embarrass her. She's look what you're going to do. You're being selfish right now, right? Don't do what you're about to do. You're going to lose everything. You're going to torture yourself. You're going to be in pain the rest of your life. And Taylor, I physically let go of that door and took three steps back towards the car. And all of a sudden I heard a whisper in my ear, that quiet voice. And if you're, if you're a Christian that's familiar with Old Testament scriptures, you hear Elijah talk about, you know, he was on the mountain and he heard there came the storm and then the earthquake, but it was in the whisper that he heard God. And uh, I just heard this, John, turn around. You told me when you walked out of that cell that you were going to walk out of it and do what I asked. And so I just, I turned around and I went and I grabbed that door. And what it showed me, Taylor, is that like where I was in a, a, physical prison cell, you know, in that portion, in that time of my life of brick and mortar and iron bars and all that, like we're all walking around in a prison cell of our own fears, our own worries, our own strives, our, our strifes, our, our, our own mistakes and failures. And we constantly beat ourselves up with that. Like uh, if we could see if our, if our thoughts could become a person sitting next to us on the couch, I think most of us would probably have committed homicide at some point in our life because those thoughts, they just, they, they, they accuse you, they, they convince you you're not good enough, that you're not good enough for God's love. And so what, what happened when I opened that door and I walked in that room and I shared with those men is I realized that so many times in my life when I tried to open that prison door, that virtual prison door in my life, that the devil had shown up to poke and prod these different things, right? Like, well, what if they find out about your pornography use? Or what if they find out about your drug use? Or what if they th find out about the way you really are to your wife and kids that you're not a great father? What if this whole thing comes, you know, crashing down. And so I would let go of that door handle all my life. And because he would convince me that outside of that cell, there was nothing but pain and torture and loss and grief and just miserable life. But what I found out, Taylor, is when I became vulnerable in those ways that I shared with you earlier, when the devil showed up again that night, God was there saying, I love you. You're my beloved son. I'm the one who gets to tell you what's right with you. I'll never tell you what's wrong with you. I will tell you what's right with you. And I want you to believe that and look at that. And so in that moment, I was able to say when the devil came prodding, those wounds didn't hurt anymore. What it means to become vulnerable, the root Latin word of, of vulnerable is, is vulnus, which means wound, to open up that wound so the divine healer can heal it, right? We, if we just continue to try to cover it up, it never gets better. Things get worse. Other parts of your body gets infected. So we have to open up that wound. And in that moment, I found out when I opened that door that, there was, that the devil had lied to me this entire time that the torture and the pain and the loss and all that was staying in that cell. Then on the other side of that door was the joy and the peace and the mercy and the hope and the love that God has promised all of us. And so I would say to people, like, there's a tendency right now in your life, you may be 60, you may be 50, you may be 32, I don't know. But the bottom line is a lot of us convince ourselves that I've lived this way, I've been this way, there is no redemption, there is no way for me to change my life. How many times in your life, Taylor, have you heard people don't change? I'm here to stand in front of you and tell you that's not true. People don't change on their own, but they change with the power and the love of Jesus Christ and the surrender to that. And so I would tell people like, don't buy into that mess, right? Don't believe all those things that you've told yourself over these years about how you're unforgivable and all that junk. Clear that out of your head. You're in control of your own thoughts. 
right? So many times we think that, and it's almost like sin and temptation, right? Like a lot of times I hear guys go, well, I was tempted, so I went ahead and sinned. It's like, no, if temptation was a sin, they'd call it sin. That's why it's called temptation. So like we have a choice in our life and everything that we do, including what we think of ourselves and how we want our lives to be. But we have to make that decision. We have to stand firm in it and say, I'm, I'm not buying into this junk anymore. I, I'm in control of my life, you know, to the point of choosing what I want to think about myself and whether I'm worthy for redemption. Ultimately, God's in control of your life. But that's what it is. You choose, you're surrendering to one or the other. You're surrendering to the devil and what he's telling you are, or you're going to surrender to Christ. You surrender to the devil, you're going to have a terrible life. And you're always going to think you're not good enough. You can't be any different. And you're always going to think that this is all my life can be. But if you get to the point where you can trust in God and you can surrender, you can surrender to God and give your life over to him, I promise you, he will show you that change is real. It can happen and it can happen in your life. Amen to that. That's, that's yeah. a wonderful testimony. Yeah. And, and again, I want to thank you, John, for joining us. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you one last journey sure. to success, original question. What is it? What is it that makes up the heart of this just a guy in the pew ministry and, and, and wanting to help people. What is it will get you up in the, uh, every day and, and set you on fire to go do this work? Man, you're going to make me cry now. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, for so long in my life, Taylor, I was lost. And I was broken. And I remember every day what that feels like. I've never let myself forget that. You know, Tom heals all wounds. Uh, just like when my mother passing, I, I miss my mother, but it doesn't feel the same way it used to. And so I actively in my life try to remember what it was like before I, God came into my life again in that cell. In those memories, I, I was thinking about it this morning. I'm like, I, I never want to live like that again. I never want to be in that position. And, you know, a lot of times we don't share our stories because we're embarrassed about them or we don't want people to know. But Angela and I came to the conclusion, even through all the hurt and the, and the rekindling we had to do and the trust that had to be rebuilt, um, you know, we, we found out that through suffering, a lot of times, grace flows. Um, you know, obviously that's obvious with Christ on the cross, the grace that flew from his, you know, flowed from his suffering. But what I figured out and what God showed me, I should say, is that all that pain was for nothing if it wasn't shared with others. All that, I mean, what was it for if it wasn't to be shared with others to, to shine a light on the differences that can be made in their life? So Taylor, I would say, I would answer that by saying, I know what it's like to be in those dark places in your life. I know what it's like to feel like you shouldn't exist, <laughs> you know? And, and so I don't want anybody to ever feel that. And if they do feel that, then I want God and I give God permission to use me in any way to, to get people out of that, to save people from that. Um, that's what I want to do with my life. And just the joy that I've found, like Taylor, I can't, even on my bad days, they're wonderful days, right? Like, it's just, you look at it, it's a whole different perspective. And I want people to know what that's like, that that joy, that peace, that hope, that happiness is real. It's real. And, and all it takes is, is just giving, you know, God a chance in your life, giving Jesus a chance in your life. So that's what drives me is I know I look around the world today. And when you've been a broken person, when you've been a person that has been duplicitous and hypocritical and all these things that I was in my life, you can see it in others. And you can see that pain. You may not know what it is, but you know it's there. And I just want to help people get rid of that and, and understand what joy there is to life if you can just get past all of that. So that's that's what drives this. I want people to know Jesus in the way that I've come to know him. That's a that's a, a true blessing. 
You're, yeah. a good, you're a good man, John Edwards. And thank you, Taylor. We commend you for for all that you're doing. And and, and as well, please go visit John's website, just a guy in the pew. That's pew.com. And check out his site. I know he's got a he's got a membership. You can become a member of his ministry and, and help him uh, grow it, actually, and sure. uh, expand the, the word of Jesus Christ. And so again, thank John that John, thank you so much for joining yeah. us here on Journey to Success. It's, it's been wonderful to have you and to hear your story. And I know this is going to inspire a, a lot, a lot of people. Well, thank you, Taylor. It's, it's, you're a great friend and I appreciate you having me on. You bet. You're listening to Journeys to Success Radio. And join us soon for our next amazing success story. Bye for now.